Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and welcome to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, I've got David Fialco, who is the co-founder and managing director of General Catalyst. Before we get started, I want to give you a little background on David. In addition to his work at General Catalyst, uh, which is focused on helping founders from seed to growth stage to build companies that withstand the test of time. A uh, little background on, on David. He studied film at Colgate University, which I can tell you is pretty unusual in the realm of venture capitalists. He earned his law degree from Boston College, and he made documentary films. He's raised millions of dollars in philanthropy to support kids' programs by biking, running, climbing, and rowing. And finally, he and his wife, Nina, produced documentary films focused on social justice. The film Icarus won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature in 2018. We're going to be talking today about David's experience both in business and in creating content. And I'm sure you're going to pick up some great ideas as it relates to the content that you're creating and distributing. So, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. I'm excited. David, and I, when I just talked a little bit about what you do and this range of experience, when you meet people and they say to you, so what do you do? How do you answer that question? I would describe myself as, first of all, the luckiest person in the world that I have the opportunity to do wonderful things and meet great people. Everything I try to do is focused around people have a arc of a story, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's a filmmaker, uh, whether it's a student, whether it's an athlete, there's something that people are trying to accomplish. Uh, and they're trying to tell their story through maybe through a medium or through their job or their company that they're building. And what I enjoy the most, and I feel I'm blessed to be able to do every day, is I get to listen to the smartest, most creative, most innovative people in the world tell me what they're trying to do. And I get the opportunity to try to help them accomplish that. So that's what I would describe what I do. Now, you know, it comes out in different vehicles. Uh, I think being a documentary filmmaker allows me the opportunity to tell a story visually like, mm -hmm. uh, um, and bring truth to power. And my thought around making documentary films is I want to tell you the story that you need to know so that you understand better a certain situation. And it's something that can drive you and others to potentially get involved or rethink the way things are being done. And then sometimes you get lucky. You know, you mentioned Icarus, which is, um, I made Icarus um, with a dear friend of mine, uh, Jim Schwartz, who's the founder of Excel, uh, and uh, Brian uh, Fogel, filmmaker, and another producer named uh, Dan Kogan. And all of us have worked together quite a bit. But this was kind of a, I hate to say a vanity project. This is where luck rewards prepared minds. Yes. So I, this was not a film that would have met the, um, our filter. It was not gonna be a film about uh, social justice. A super size me biker doping and, and testing his skill against his uh, skill being doped and undoped wouldn't exactly meet that criteria. But because I've been very active over the last 
four decades, three or whatever it is, in uh, the PAMAS Challenge founded by Billy Starr, where I've been involved for 36, 37 years uh, since we started our first company. Uh, I, I love biking and I've done a lot of biking competitively and raising money for charity through the PMC and others. So when a guy come, came to me and said, I want to make a movie about, about biking, and the doping wasn't part of it. It was just to supersize me for, for biking. That represented a really interesting story for me. And I did it because I was passionate about biking and Brian and the team of people I was going to work with. I could have never, Mark, anticipated that in the middle of the movie, it would have had a massive pivot. Instead of being about biking, it was about the Russians and their doping scandal. And that led to you know one of the real truth um, stories about what was going on in Russia and the corruption. So sometimes you just get lucky. But well, David, on that note, I've got yeah. to just comment for our listeners, for those who haven't seen it, A, you got to check this out on Netflix. B, the, the story that David just described as a viewer, what you realize is um, this movie started as one thing and it evolved into something else. And so David, the question I have for you on that is one of the biggest challenges that so many of the listeners of this podcast are struggling with, whether they're sales leaders or they're in sales enablement, they're, they're in this business, they're trying to figure out which content to create. The same judgment filter that you use when you think about what you wanna make, normally it's, it's related to social justice, but in this case, it wasn't. So I'm curious in terms of the idea of form factor and, and platform, how do you figure out which thing fits in this form factor called documentary and which thing may be an awesome story, but it's just not gonna work? Good question. So the way that we operate, just to riff on this, is somebody will bring us a story. For example, we were, um, we, uh, along with uh, two brilliant filmmakers, Kareem and Jahan, my wife, um, produced a show that was on HBO last fall called The Vow. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of a cult in upstate New York that abused their relationships and the trust of uh, a lot of young people who were coming to get self-help yep. and the guy that ran it, Keith Raniere, became a sexual predator. Yep. And that story had never been told. And some filmmakers came to us and said, hey, there's a story here, but you got to understand that this can be a very hard story to tell. A, they deny the, uh, the organization, Nexium. B, you've got a super charismatic founder <laughs> who has a lot of money and firepower behind him Yep. And they're going to go hard at anybody to try to tell the story to take them down. Yep. And the third thing is there are a lot of victims, but the victims really don't want to talk about it because they're either A, hurt or B, embarrassed. So we then saw a clip of what you know, appeared to be a story. So what we did is we went to the New York Times and had them hear the story. And we used them to kind of prove the truth and veracity of the ah, story. So they became like a this filter is, for you. Or a fact checker, if you will. You know, yeah. We went to them and said, if you want, you can have exclusivity on talking about this story for a while because you're the only ones that know it. But you know, in return, we expect that you're going to tell us you know, the truth and veracity of this. And they did. And that's a strategy we use a lot. Let me explain wow. why. Let me explain why. Because people bring us. It's like you and I talked before the podcast. We are talking about a deal. And you asked me about a company. What did I think about it? And I said to you, let's call these two people. Mm -hmm. They will have a better informed opinion. So 
what I'm trying to get to with, with the question that you asked me is, we all sit down every single day and we think we're on the right path. And then all of a sudden, the, the situation changes. The field that we're playing on changes. And it could be you know, something that's asynchronous. It could be um, something that is um, completely unforeseen at the time, but has a massive change. Or it could be existential, something that could be like so bad. We have to be prepared for both good and bad. So we set down a road and it's not that we should pivot every day and rethink our strategy, but when the opportunity comes to press forward and to recreate an idea or pivot to do something else, true leadership creates those opportunities. You know, again, I would use that expression, luck rewards the prepared mind. But the reality is just we should always understand that as the situation changes, our thinking and our action needs to change. So David, I gotta, I gotta just uh, say a quote here. And it's a quote that I read. And again, I think it's a fair statement that if I took a hundred venture capitalists and I looked at their CVs or their bios online uh, or their LinkedIn, 99% of them would not have this. You said, I love working with creative people and helping them make a difference. I'm inspired by founders with big transformational ideas. That's why our entrepreneurs include young people still in college, all the way up to serial founders on their fifth or sixth company. So my question is simply, why do you resonate with creative people in a way that's so different than many executives in the venture capital business? Well, you're, you're kind to say that. We all have to pick our own style. Let me, let me take a step back. My, my life has been blessed with incredible people. And you know, I started uh, 32 years ago with my 33 years ago with my partner Joel Cutler building a company out of our basement. We never raised venture money. He always says it's that nobody would have given us money. That's <laughs> I say it's that we wanted to do it alone. Somewhere between the two is correct. Yeah. But we've ended up building this massive, you know, very hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue travel business, and we sold it. And um, I was in a um, situation where Joel had Crohn's disease mm -hmm. and I really wanted to support, he was healthy now. But when we were younger, I've known him since I was five, um, the Children's Hospital in Boston saved his life and Joel and his family did an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of time and money, children. So after we sold this business and we had some money, I went from having zero money to a little bit of money. Um, and I really wanted to do something in Joel's honor so I went to Children's and tried to build a small, like little wing or ward, whatever. And I was walking home with my wife up, up Beacon Street. And, you know, it's just so expensive. I was telling Nina, listen, I, I, it's like, it's a really good idea, but we're, you know, we, we're, we're a decimal off in terms of how much it's going to cost. And at the time, um, I had to deal with, with my wife where I could weigh double what she weighed. You know, I hope nobody on this um, <laughs> thing is going to chat. So she was 104, so I could wait 208. So I think I, I, I got out of the, 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 the boundary. I think I was a little more. And I was sitting there at a restaurant and eating tacos. And some guys I knew from a hedge fund came over and were giving me grief that, that I kind of looked like I had... Uh, had a long like spring because I was a little bigger than I should. <laughs> and I'm a biker, so it looked like the comment was, look, looks like you're not on your bike a lot. <laughs> and I got mad and I said, all right, guys, I'll bet you a million bucks 
that I can do anything you ask me physically. And in return, if I do it, you'll give a million bucks to Children's Hospital in honor of Crohn's. And if I don't do it, I'll give a million bucks to whatever you guys want. And I said, give me a bet. And the bet was I had to go do the Hawaiian Ironman. And that was a pretty big bet because I didn't know how to swim and I wasn't kind of a runner. So now, David, what, year, what, year was, what year was this? This was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So, okay. so I, I sat there and said, hey, you know, 21 years ago. So I said, hey, you know, like what, what you know, um, I can do it. And I said, you know what, I'll do it this fall. I'll just get it done. And we did. We, 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 we worked really hard and we, we figured out how to swim and everything. And when I went to Hawaii, I brought a whole bunch of my friends with me. So it was me and Nina and like a bunch of my friends. I just, want to be, I just want to be clear for our listeners though, David. You literally, I mean, you, you, do you mean you didn't swim well or like you didn't swim? No, I never swam a lap. Oh my, my first God. swim coach who was Russian, which is ironic because I make a movie about Russia like 18 years later, came over for, for, for dinner after the first week of training. And he said in his very heavy Russian accent, you know, Nina, he's going to drown. <laughs> and, uh, Nina said, no, 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 he won't drown. Goes, I'm not going to train him anymore. He's going to drown. So I, I lost a couple of swim coaches. And fortunately, this woman who I hope reads, uh, listens to this, Kitty Tetro, took pity on me and taught me how to swim. Okay. But no, so I, I was, while I was in Hawaii, um, we were sitting on at, like the beach, you know, having one of these reflective moments, me and Joel. And Joel asked me a very important question, Mark, you know, because we had just sold two companies. I thought I'd done pretty well. And he goes, are we A, B, or C entrepreneurs? And I went, wow. He goes, and I said, I think we're like B. And then we realized maybe B plus. And, he, and after discussing with him, we were kind of like more in the B minus range. Mm -hmm. So I said, how can we be around really smart founders? So I said, what if we started a venture firm? Um, and Joel said, great, but we're missing two things. We're not technical and we have no investment experience. I said, looking out the waves, exactly. We don't have bad behavior. Yeah. <sighs> So General Catalyst was formed with a very simple idea. Why did we want to do it? We wanted to be around great founders. Our original idea was, listen, we, we, we built four companies. We've done okay. But man, we understand how hard it is. And we want to have the one thing that everybody needs to have for founders. Empathy. Empathy, my friend. You got to understand exactly what it takes to build a business. But it's hard work. As you know, you're a founder. And the only way this works is you have people around you that are supportive. They don't need to be hit in the head. They don't need to be told that they miss their numbers. They don't need to be told to do this, do that. What we need to do is have a strategy with the founder and understand exactly what they need and where we can play a role. And I want to go back to one question, though, with regards to why you have stayed relevant. Because <coughs> sometimes, you know, after 20 years, the business becomes successful. The, the, uh, the actual managing directors or the, the founders can become in some businesses disconnected to what's going on now. So you came up with something called an entrepreneur in residence. And I'm just curious, yeah. what's been the impact of creating this role at General Catalyst? Well, it's about the, the other, there are four things that I think we, we have to try to do as whether it's helping filmmakers or helping founders. Uh, kind of the same thing. Uh, and a core part of that is mentorship. And mentorship needs to be personal, meaning 
what that mentor and the mentee feel is appropriate in terms of their mission and their interaction, this is very tactical, has to be set by the two of them and not mandated. So what happens in a traditional relationship of business is you know, a company takes money from an investor and that investor adds value. Now, how do they add value? Um, you know, if it's a big buyout fund, you know, they have a team of people, they call them portfolio management. And they're probably very good, but they're, you know, today it's this company, tomorrow it's another company. Yep. Um, or they may have people on their team that are very good at working with, all good. But what happens is it's not a committed relationship um, in the sense that um, it's, you know, all of us, even companies I'm on the board of, I mean, I have a lot of boards, right? I, I can work with founders, but I'm you know, we're all busy, right? We, right. Don't, we can't spend weeks at a time with one person and we have to. So to break that cycle, I realized that there were a lot of really smart people who maybe didn't know what their next gig would be, or maybe didn't know if they want to run a company again, but they had experienced doing something extraordinarily valuable. They were founders of companies who had successfully either exited their business in terms of selling it or going public, or they figured out a transition where they were no longer running their business, which was still growing and prospering. Yep. And a lot of that talent does not know how to engage in what its 2.0 is, okay? So, for example, you and I met through such a person. Correct. You Chin Lee, you know, the real, here's the real story about how I met you Chin Lee. I wanted to sell my house and my favorite broker wouldn't sell it for me because it was below her price point. I'm not going to give her a name because she denies this, but she said, I can't help you. I don't sell houses in that price range yeah. below my minimum. And uh, I said, well, like, like, well, wh who, 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 what kind of people do you, do you work with? And she goes, well, there's this fantastic, you know, entrepreneur that lives in Weston and I'm going to introduce you to him. And that's how I met you. Okay. You two just bought a beautiful house in Weston. Obviously above my price. Above the number. <laughs> above the price. <laughs> and Yuchin was going through the exact thing. You know, um, his company, brilliant company, um, Unica had been sold to IBM, and he's in the prime of his life. He's in his maybe late 40s, whatever age he was, super successful, brain on fire. And I said to him, why don't you come on board, GC? And why don't you help a founder uh, transform? grow and scale their business and you become their mentor so it's not you and us we'll be their partner too but it's you and them yeah and really get inside the relationship in the mind of a founder and really help them on a very very creative but customized basis realize and optimize their journey david so how, do you, how do you match make that though how do you know is it like an intuitive thing about this guy's gonna, or this person will fit with that person? That's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, one thing that, that, that we all have is pattern recognition. And I really trust my pattern recognition. I think sometimes when I meet certain people that, wow, they'd be good with that. You know, part of my strategy, okay, is what I call a mashup. Can I, can I, don't tell anybody this, okay? <laughs> no, no, don't tell anybody. So I do this thing. I just did one, um, well, last, last night. 
Okay. Um, no, two nights ago. We're a mashup where I want to spend time with Mark and I wanted, you know, but um, I need to spend some time with, with three other people. Yeah. And my attitude is let's put us all together and let's have a common theme that will be something interesting to people. Yeah. And it could be, you know, a ski trip. It could be a trip to Martha's Vineyard. It could be a dinner. But I do this weekly, if not more, where I just bring people together who I think would get along or yeah. would have things in common. And I don't really worry about the, the fabric of how they come together. I think if you bring people together with great food and great conversation in a beautiful environment, obviously it helps. But the reason why I bring that up is I start to see over time patterns of what people gravitate toward what people, you know, like I met this brilliant, brilliant young man named Austin McCord, incredibly visionary guy. Yep. And he was this young guy and I met him through his EA's, no, no, a friend of mine's EA's son, who was a 23 year old kid who worked in the accounting of a company in Connecticut. And I said to this woman, I'd be happy to help you, son. I mean, we're here to be empathetic and help young people. Sure. Well, sometimes it really pays off. Right. And um, you, I, met him at G I met him at GC and it's a hell of a story. <laughs> well, I didn't do it for any other reason other than help a 22 year old kid. And while he was explaining this business that he worked at, he said, it's the greatest company in the world. Why do you want to leave that? I, he said, I want to move to California. Tell me about this business. Well, it's run by this brilliant guy. His name is Austin McCord. He's a savant. He's 28, 27. You know, how big is the company? He's like, eh, I don't know, like 20, 30 million or something. Like the kid said, he's never raised money. He said, you got to introduce me to him. So I, in, he, I met Austin. Austin and I, as you know, we're dear friends. We hit it off really well. But my intuition was he reminded me so much of the founder, unfortunately deceased founder, Danny Lewin of Akamai. He even looked like Danny. Wow. Bold thinker, big, big vision. So I said, I know somebody who would be a great mentor to you. And he didn't say, I hope it's you. I think he liked me, and <laughs> us, but the business that he was building, but this is a very important point. Yeah. My goal is not to be the jerk that hoards things. Yeah. I, I knew meeting him. Sure, I can mentor him in part of his life, but scaling up Datto? Yeah. Why don't I go to the guy that scaled Akamai? So I go to Paul Sagan, who was thinking about his next gig. And we had a dinner at uh, Henrietta's table in Harvard Square. And I went, oh my God, they're like mind molding. Wow. And I'm giving Sagan a ride home. And he goes, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And I go, yeah. Wow. Danny. He's like, yes. And that was what Paul needed in his life at the time. First of all, you know, losing his partner and the founder of his firm. And, you know, Danny died on the plane on September 11th, as you know. And, you know, well, tragic. There's a book called... Uh, um, um, uh, in our time, which is the story of Danny, you know, and, you know, how he died on that plane trying to, you know, take that, you know, he was the first guy to die because he attacked the, uh, uh, yeah, amazing. You know? amazing. And they killed him. They killed him with a, like a cutting knife or something, but, and the two of them came together and they built a multi-billion dollar company together, you know, oh. with, with Paul's like wisdom, sageness. So, I said to uh, um, um, Austin one night, how's it going? He goes, with Senator 
you know, Sagan? I go, you know, it's an interesting comment. He's kind of the guy I think of as a center. And he's like diplomatic, but he's a driver, you know, Paul. Yeah. And he's a detail-oriented, empathetic, great leader. He's mentored me, having him as an XIR the last eight years. And he's just been a fabulous mentor to me. So uh, what I'm curious well, about is when you're dealing with older founders, are they still open to having somebody who, who can play kind of the Yoda role with them? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, most tech founders, um, although they may be older, older is in their 40s, right? You know, yeah. you know most of them are, are younger. Um, and everybody is focused around optimizing their success. And where our industry is broken is it's not about money. It's about business building. And money is a commodity. There's tons of money out there. Mm -hmm. where we have to distinguish and differentiate ourselves as firms and as partners to entrepreneurs is, is that journey of helping them build their business. So a big part of it is how, so you use an interesting word, but I'm going to flip the word around a little bit. You use the word relevant. So I don't think Paul Sagan worried about being relevant, but you know, of all the things that he could have done and he could have done anything he wanted, the joy of helping a 28-year-old founder build a multi-billion dollar business. How good is that? And yeah. they loved each other. They got along. You know? It's, it's we so go skiing. It's... We, we go skiing every, we did our January board meeting skiing. And Austin's a really good skier. And Paul's a really good skier. But we would, we would always be nervous that whenever uh, Austin would say, hey, Paul, let me take you down a few slopes. And <laughs> one. Paul would come back bloody or something. But Paul... <laughs> Paul was the just the exact right DNA and personality, and he has no ego, so his empathy could be genuine, and he wasn't thinking about well, what's in it for me. Yeah. So, David, let me ask you this: as we synthesize this, my last question is: you've you've met all these founders, you've been involved in all these deals, you've had all this this long term relationship with your your GC co founders. Um, so, based on your experience, if you had to net it out. When you think about the most important skill that you think people should learn or improve today, and I want to say for people who are either entrepreneurs or in sales, what do you think is the most important skill people need to learn or improve today? Okay. Um, one pops in my mind, but I'm not sure it's your answer. How do you begin every dialogue and relationship with thinking about what somebody on the other side needs, wants, or thinks? And I've always called this somewhat of a chameleon strategy, but you've got to understand that one size doesn't fit all. So for example, um, the podcast I'm doing with you today is very different than the one I did on Tuesday. And I know what you want. You want to fire people up and get them motivated to think creatively and to execute on what they're supposed to do. Correct. So my tenor with you it's going to be dare to win, take the mountain. Let's let's get people fired up. Let's get pe people motivated to overcome obstacles and objections. Go do it. I mean, I didn't think about it that way, but that's you know what we're doing. We're not having a deep dive about technology, right? You know, we're not talking about like you know how social justice leads to um, you know law changes and stuff like that. I mean, we're we're focused around this. So one area that I think is super important is when you're talking to somebody, whether it's somebody you're recruiting, somebody that you're trying to sell to, somebody you're trying to influence, 
always think first and foremost, what would this person want from me that would make their life better and easier? I mean, it's basic thing. Yeah. Right? It, it's it's sort of related, David, to that that profound statement that I, has impacted me a big in a big way. Is and it's it's been true in my life. If you can help enough people get what they want, you can have anything you want. And in order well, to help them, you got to know what it is that they want. And part of it is you always want to get the phone call, meaning you want people around you to to you want to be the one that they reach out to for advice or for help or for uh, a shoulder to lean on. And when you put yourself in that position and people know that you're authentic and you have empathy, you get a lot done because people trust you. And I think building that trust is really important. So David, I'll leave you with this based on my experience watching you in action. There's, um, I think, especially in your industry, there's an understandable, it's important to have technical chops and you have some of the brightest people, high IQs, really great conceptual thinkers. But what I'm realizing is part of the secret sauce is not just relationship building, but emotional intelligence. And what you're describing here is the criticality of emotional intelligence, because in the final analysis, when you think about it, you just said money is a commodity. When a founder is trying to make a decision about going with firm A versus firm B, there's usually some other X factor. And I think you just described it. Yeah. Well, and sometimes, you know, if you're talking to founders, not everybody wants, needs help, right? Some people, you know, for them, it's the high price or the best price or the easiest diligence or, you know, a partner that will have money, but won't like, you know, have a, you know, they don't need their impact or want. And I think you can, you should get that. That's not what we do. Um, because we feel that if we're not active, what value added would bring? Now, you don't want to be overactive, but you want to be there with somebody. It's like parenting. You want to make sure you're there when people need you. Um, and I think that for everybody as a salesperson, which is, I know, um, our kind of target audience here, you need to pick a style, I think. And you need to pick a style with a strategy that is going to work for you, but then be amenable to having some flexibility based upon your read of what that person wants. Spot on, my friend. This has been terrific. David, if people want to learn more about you and Nina in terms of some of the movies, or they want to learn more about General Catalyst, um, how do they do that? Well, General Catalyst, you can go to our website. Um, on the film stuff, um, I would say watch some of the movies that are films that we've made. Um, Bending the Ark is coming out in the fall. It's a story of Paul Farmer, the doctor that saved the world from uh, Ebola in 2014 started Partners in Health, one of the absolute heroes. It's called Bending the Ark, you know, based on the Martin Luther King, you know, Bending the Ark of Social Justice. Yes, and um, I saw I saw this with you. I saw the, the saw that with me, it, right. and it was Amazing. fantastic. I'm very proud of Nina for that. The Vow, which is another, uh, um, it's a series on HBO. HBO, yeah. Eight, and then there's eight more coming out in 2020, uh, the October 2021, which we're excited about. Um, one that's very relevant to our industry, The Great Hack, Mm -hmm. which is the story of Cambridge Analytica and um, how that was compromised. Uh, Icarus, which obviously uh, we're, uh, we're familiar with. Uh, the Dissident, which is, um, you can get it on Apple. Um, that just came out, right? The Dissident yeah. just came out? And Dissident's story of how Khashoggi uh, got killed by the Saudis. So those are just some of the films that we've done. And The Fourth um, Estate. And The Fourth Estate. The Fourth Estate was to, done in 2017 
And it was partnering and living in the offices of the New York Times, uh, and in particular, Maggie Haberman and others, as they began their coverage of the new president, Donald Trump, and the shenanigans that were going around that. So um, the fourth estate being the reference to the power of the, of the media and the power of the press. There's your so, playlist, everyone. I can tell you that um, you can't you can't go wrong with any of these. The vow I'm going to check out myself. I, I had heard some of the story. I didn't realize that that this movie was the impetus of that whole story coming out, which is amazing. But for sure, you got to see Icarus because it'll blow your mind. David Fialco, thank, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Mark. I hope I get invited back. Have a great uh, weekend, everybody. Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage. Available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.